0: I'm going to pray for us now as we dive into the word together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what we've already proclaimed this morning. That, Father, we have good news to share. And, Father, we want to be excited about that news. We want to remind ourselves this morning of the grace and mercy that is ours because of Jesus Christ. Father, the hope that lives deep within us, embedded in us through your Holy Spirit, Father, even now, as we hear from you, as we read your word, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear exactly what it is that you want us to understand this morning about who you are, about salvation, about hope, about how you would have us to live. Thank you for this time. I pray that all distractions, Father, would be removed from our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to talk to you about hope. That's the last few verses of the passage we're going to read, starting in verse 18, but I'll read those in several minutes here. Last week, my kids were hoping for a snow day, and they got it. So they were thrilled. On Tuesday night, before that winter storm hit, our student pastor, CT, remember, CT is from Alabama. And I received a text from CT along with our kids director and I put it up on the screen because I just thought we'd all get a kick out of it. I'm totally making fun of him, but it's all right. I'm allowed to do that. He says, hey guys, tomorrow there's forecasted three to five inches of snow with temps at 18 degrees. Around the start of Oasis, will, will we be okay to have our Oasis Middle School Christmas party? And what I was thinking the whole time I read that is it's fine if we get dumped on, we have to cancel. But I thought it was hilarious that he thought we would cancel ministry because it's 18 degrees. <laughs> and so I, I replied, I'm like, wait until tomorrow. We have until 12 p.m. 18 degrees means nothing. This is Michigan. That is a warm day to do yard work and put up lights and get on top of your roof and take down what is needed and all the rest of it. And so he was just trying to hope, he was hoping to get an answer. He didn't get one that night. Is hope what kids felt last Wednesday night when they went to bed and wondered about whether they'd get a snow day? Is hope what kids at Christmas experience as they fall asleep on Christmas Eve? What is hope according to the Bible? Is it something that is uncertain? Something that we're not sure of? Is it something that's just going to disappoint when we finally realize what we open up as a result of our faith? What is hope according to the scripture? Biblical hope, the hope that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, that we'll see here in a few moments, is the exact opposite of the normal worldly definition of hope. It's the exact opposite. The difference is that when we say hope, we're normally talking about something that lacks certainty, something that lacks certainty. I hope I get this job. I hope we don't have any family drama this Christmas season. I hope that it all works out. I hope my team wins the game. I hope he asks me out on a date. Well, whatever it is, I I hope it has certainty associated with it, but biblical hope has nothing to do with uncertainty. Biblical hope, if you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down. Biblical hope is a confident desire for something good to happen in the future and the expectation that it will. It is the confident desire for something good to happen in the future and the expectation that it will. That's the kind of hope that Jesus can bring you today. Not some occasional warm fuzzies that it's going to be okay or work itself out. It's that the Holy Spirit brings us hope in Christ that fills our spirit with confident resolve, with resolve with certainty that everything works together for the, good that, for, for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. Biblical hope is expectant. It is sure, it is certain, it is confident, it is resolved. It's not just hopeful, it's hope filled. It's beyond hopeful, it's hope filled. And so I wanna ask you this morning if you have that type of hope. The certainty of your hope will strengthen in step with the depth of your faith. If you have a lot of faith, that means you will have a confident hope. That hope will be growing. If you have a lot of doubt, it means that you'll be thinking about your faith as simply wishful thinking. Do you have biblical hope today? We're continuing our Christmas series, Then Came Hope. And each week we've introduced it with a Christmas carol song, and so uh, today that song, it's actually my favorite uh, Christmas carol, it's O Holy Night, and it, it talks about this in the lyric. It was a carol that was written in 1847 as a poem that was later put to music, and you know the words of the first verse, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We sing these songs all the time and probably don't have a clue what we're singing, like this verse, long lay the world in sin and error, pining. How many of you know what pining means? If you know what it means, just we're playing a little balderdash right now. Just turn to your neighbor right now, tell them the definition. You can impress them and tell them how smart they are. Go ahead, turn to them, tell them this is what pining means. This is what the word means. And then I'm going to see if you got it right or not. It means to yearn deeply. It means to yearn deeply, to suffer with longing, to long painfully. That's what it means, to long painfully. So the thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. It's talking about while the world yearns deeply, while the world suffers with longing, on Christmas morning there's a thrill of hope that is brought to the world in the birth of Jesus Christ. See, the hope of the Old Testament All of the promises of the Old Testament that were pointing to a Messiah, it wasn't some kind of uncertain, wishful thinking. It was an expectation. And so Jesus, when he came, that was the fulfillment of that expectation. And this song captures the essence of the verses in Romans chapter 8 that we're about to read. And the idea of these verses, the, the concept this morning is that Christian hope is not Wishful thinking, it is an expectation, and I hope that is driven into your heart this morning, not just wishful thinking driven, a little irony in my words here, but that you will know it for certain where we are headed and where our hope lies. Now, if you read the scripture often, you'll know that whenever there's repetition, that's saying something about what is in the text, And so let me just bring us up to Romans chapter 8 very briefly. In Romans chapters 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit, for example, is mentioned just two times. But you come to chapter 8, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. Just within that chapter, it's a chapter about the work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 2 through 4 tell us how the Holy Spirit liberates us, how he frees us from the bondage of sin in Christ. In verses 5 through 17, it tells us how the Holy Spirit uh, gives us gifts as he sets us free. Here's what he gives us while he is setting us free from the bondage of sin in Christ. In verses 5 through 8, he gives us a new mind. It's one of the things that he gives us. The way we see everything changes when we are freed in Christ. In verses 9 through 11, he gives us a new sense of life. The way we live changes when we are free in Christ. If your life looks no different today than it did before you came to Christ, then you ought to question what it means when you truly submitted your life to Christ. It should look completely different As you submit your life to him. In verses 12 and 13, he gives us a new responsibility. If you are free in Christ, you have committed yourself to overcoming the desires of the world. It's a very difficult challenge, isn't it? To overcome the flesh, to overcome the world, to overcome the ways that are in us as we have those desires and wants. And we keep maybe falling into those cycles and back into those patterns. But we've made this commitment, we've been given this new responsibility to overcome the desires of the flesh. And then lastly, in verses 14 through 17, the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity. That if you are free in Christ, you are a child of God. This is how he closes the section, verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also... Share in his glory. So let me pick it up in verse 18. And Paul tells the Roman Christians three timeless truths about the hope that we have in Christ. Here's the first. This hope that is not wishful thinking, but is an expectation. That Christian hope surpasses suffering. Look at verse 18. For I consider, he says... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This verse gives us the thesis for the entire section. It's a contrast between present sufferings and future glory. Paul compares our future hope in Jesus with our current reality of pain, suffering, and discomfort. And his conclusion is that there is no comparison. There is no comparison. This is an overwhelming statement. It's, an over, it's a shocking statement, especially to those walking through the reality of suffering today. Now, you might be thinking, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the depth of my suffering, whether that be a re- a relational or emotional or financial or physical. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know what it's like. It feels so overwhelming, so deep. How could he say that there is no comparison when comparing it to our future? Well, just remember who exactly wrote this down. This is Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was like to starve, to be tormented, to be threatened, chased, mocked, unjustly sentenced. He was constantly in prison. He was literally in chains. He was beaten near to death. He was stoned, shipwrecked, and whipped to the point that he said he bore the marks on his back of Jesus Christ. This is what he went through. And Paul's idea of hope wasn't some hypothetical, mystical roll of the dice. I hope it works out. I hope when my life is done and all this comes to an end, I hope that what I was thinking before, I really hope it was worth it. I hope it's going to be worth it when I, I when i see kind of what comes next but right now i'm just uncertain it was much more than that it was his reality it was his motivation it was as real to him as the food that he ate it was christian hope now you have your list of sufferings and i have mine suffering that is not self-inflicted not uh, something that we brought about ourselves, but simply a result of the brokenness of our world. It's real, it's painful, it's often very horrible, and always close by. If you're not in the midst of it now, we know it's always close by. Paul says, I want to remind you what Christ has brought us, what his life has bought for us. What the Holy Spirit whispers to us and what the word of God shouts at us. The hope of my faith surpasses the pain of my present. The hope of my faith, he believed this, surpasses the pain of my present. Do you believe that to be true? It was a firm, established, expectant, certainty, the results of our faith, and he knew in his soul, through the Spirit, through the Word of God, through the example of Christ, from the testimony of Scripture, that whatever I'm going through, it is not comparable, it doesn't even register, compared to what is to come. It will be that much better in glory. Maybe you haven't looked into the Word of God as much as the apostle, to discover what our hope will be like. Maybe you haven't looked into the word of God to discover what is gained through salvation. Maybe you thought that salvation's greatest prize was simply that you would one day be pain-free, that pain would be gone. But that's actually missing the greatest prize. Salvation is that, that is the restoration of all things, but it's so much more. There's so much more. We will be with Christ, like Christ, seeing Christ, living with God, enjoying God, sustained by God, filled by God, worshiping God. It will be remarkable. So, if and when you suffer, Paul is telling us don't lose heart, don't lose hope. That's the time to exercise faith. This is really a faith message. We're talking about hope, but we're talking about faith because I believe that so many Christians, certainly within our American evangelical society, we talk about this hope, we talk about this faith, but it doesn't actually cause too much in us because when it comes down to it, we're still filled with so much anxiety and worry, and we still get so wrapped up in the here and now and what this world has to offer, we're not secure in what. What is to come, And this is why Paul wrote what he did. This is why the Holy Spirit gives us this truth. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. You might even be offended by his statements. How could Paul... Call your struggle or your suffering light, momentary affliction. And yet, through the eyes of faith, that's exactly what he says. He calls all of what we can go through in this world light, momentary affliction, and it is preparing for us an eternal weight. Of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. All the suffering we're experiencing, everything that we see in this life, all the things that we can see, touch, feel, and sense, he says, all of it's transient. It all goes away. None of that is eternal. The things that we do not see, those are the things that will be fixed, set, established, secure. Maybe you aren't experiencing suffering right now. Maybe for you, if you're in one of those seasons where it's not present, you're just in love with the present pleasures of life. And it makes it hard to imagine that the future glory is better than the fun you're having. That when you're going through life now and you're feeling pretty good and life is going well and you know there's that temptation, that desire for more. It's it's fun to chase money. It's fun to chase relationships. It's fun to chase after the things of the world. To chase after those possessions, those those material things. It's fun to chase after drunkenness because we can just escape from reality. It's fun to chase after sexual pleasure. Maybe that's where you are, and so you think about the future glory, and you're like, it doesn't sound that great. To that, C.S. Lewis writes this, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea maybe you think i just don't believe you i don't believe paul's words here it's too great what i'm experiencing it's too hard well Then what about Jesus? Because he had the same perspective. He had the expectation that every hardship and every suffering wouldn't come close to comparing to the hope of glory that was in front of the cross. He believed it so deeply, he allowed himself to be arrested and he went to the cross. That's how much he believed in it. He didn't have to, he didn't have to go to Jerusalem, no one made him. He didn't have to allow himself to be arrested when the guards were walking up the hill and they said, where's Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I am he. And the power of his voice took the Roman soldiers and dropped them to the ground. He did not need to go to trial. He did not need to be beaten. But he did. Because his idea of the future hope of glory that awaited him as he was faithful to the Father far outweighed anything that he would go through. That's how he lived his life. That's why he lived it the way he did. And he said it over and over. The glory that is to come is greater than the glory that you could ever receive in this life. It's not even comparable. Christian hope surpasses suffering. Here's the second reality of our hope in Christ. Christian hope includes all of creation. It includes all of creation. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, that its future would be the same as the future of the children of God, in other words. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. A few phrases here, the phrase, it waits with eager longing, it comes from a group of words that have the idea of stretching one's neck forward, like you're leaning in, like you're anticipating, like you're on the edge of your seat waiting for what's going to happen, It's saying that all of the inanimate creation, all of the universe itself, because it has been subjected to futility, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago in our Paradise Lost series, that when sin entered the world through humanity and through our rebellion, all of creation, all of the universe was subjected to that brokenness, to that decline. And so we see it. We see that we're reminded that the animal world was invaded by fear and violence, that the loveliest scenes in nature, while remaining beautiful, are also witness to bloody horrors, that the, the, that the earth itself is, is cursed. There's floods and hurricanes and droughts and tornadoes and avalanches and fires and earthquakes, and they stalk the earth. And for now, between the fall and the future restoration, all of creation groans, it says, as in labor pains, waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption. When's that going to happen? Well, it gives us the answer. It will be set free the moment that God's work of redemption is done, the moment that every son and every daughter joins God's family through faith, that will usher in this season of restoration, And redemption will find its fulfillment. It's this picture that Paul uses. I'm sure you've heard it described before, but it's this picture of labor pains. It's interesting to me. I was thinking about this, how every week you see a new mother with a beautiful shot of her newborn child sometime shortly after giving birth. And so she's in the hospital bed. Sometimes the husband is there. Sometimes it's just her, and she's lovingly looking at the New baby, new life. If it's a video, you see the scene and there's peace and you can hear the baby breathing and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful that moment. But you know what's interesting to me? You never see posted pictures of women at the height of their pain when giving labor. Where's that picture? Where's the picture? I got this one, honey. I'm gonna get it. Like right when your face and your whole body is the most contorted, and when things are happening in that room that cause uh, a lot of men to faint, (laughs) and, and require such response from people, there's never a picture like, that's the one you post. Here it is. Here's the moment because it's a picture of agony. It's agony. The beauty comes after. It's agony in that moment. I don't want to if I posted that of my wife, I'd probably need to move out for a while. like she would not be thrilled but but that after the after picture that that's that's amazing, that's beautiful. that's what Paul is talking about here. that's what he's describing. what a beautiful picture it is. this new baby resting in the mother's arms. Our hope is that the world will be restored, and right now it's all just. It's all just fear. I mean, you look at the world, that's what we see. It's just fear and perversion and abuse and death and natural disasters and lack of resources and all the rest of it. And yet the picture... The picture of our certain hope is the picture that we find in Revelation 21 that says God is going to restore heaven and earth. John writes it this way, and he who was seated on the throne, speaking of God himself, said, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus started this process when he arrived here on the earth. He started this process. It was the thrill of hope. It was the thrill of hope. For all of creation. And to me, it's ironic that while creation itself gathered in a barn, while stars lit up the sky to guide people towards the Savior, while myriads and myriads of angels shouted out celebration and sang praise, humanity, for the most part, paid no attention. Like, it's like the whole universe knew. Except for us. It's like the whole universe was clued in. Except for human beings. Because we're so caught up in all the other things. All the other distractions of life. And so when we hear the Christian story, it's, eh. There's not too much thrill there. The Star Wars movie, I I was excited about that. Couldn't wait to see that. Lined up to see that. Bought my tickets two months early to see that. The thrill of hope of my faith. I haven't really given it much thought. I'm not sure if it really is that real to me. We are all part of a much bigger story. A hero has come. He he faced challenges and struggles and trials, and he overcame every single one of them, and he won the victory. And he freely shares the spoils of that victory with the entire universe. And it's a real story. And it started on Christmas morning. Of course, you can go back, but this is the day that the Messiah, the expectation, the hope came. Now, we are all part of that story. One of the spoils of Jesus' victory over sin and death in the grave is that we, along with all of creation, will also be restored certainly for those who have faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's the third reality of our hope in Christ. The Christian hope longs for, along with all of creation, a restoration, a new body. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation... Not just inanimate creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. The same word is used here. The same labor pain word is used here of us. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope, five times that word was just used, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Those of us who have made Jesus our Lord and Savior live in this already but not yet reality. It's a tension you find all throughout the scriptures. That we have already at this moment experienced salvation. And Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. But yet we haven't fully experienced the fruition, the full fruition of that hope. Some of the first fruits have come. That's what he's talking about. Not not the full picture, though. And, And so some of those first fruits have come. I mean, yet some of the struggle still is here. One day, he's saying, every part of us, even our physical bodies, will be redeemed along with the physical world itself. I mean, just this week... Just this week, four of our own from our church family were all at Troy Beaumont. I was there like a bunch of days. <laughs> Just this week, I mean, there's, there's broken bones, there's cracked vertebrae, there's collapsed lungs, there's unidentified pain. We groan, our bodies groan. What was the noise you made when you woke up this morning? And as you get older, it gets deeper, and longer, and more painful, and your joints, they hurt, and your legs, they hurt, and your body, and it hurts, and you got bumps that show up, and you don't know why, and things start changing, and you don't know why, and your skin changes, and you don't know why, and all this stuff happens, and if you're 20 in this room, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, and And if you're 60 in this room, you're looking at me saying, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Either way, it's this long, slow for most of us. Some people, of course, it's a quick transition, but for many, long, slow decline. Just groaning. Just groaning. And and we think, is this it? Is this it? Like, is this this all there is? Is this what life is about? Just this process? I mean, it's written on our hearts. Do you see it? The fact that your very body, your physical body, goes through this process ought to demonstrate to you that there is something more, that something is wrong, and that something has come. And when He has come, it will be restored through faith. I mean, it's written in the fabric of our life. We see it all the time, every day, when we wake up, when we move, when we talk to loved ones. So, are we like creation? Are, are, are you eagerly leaning in on the edge of your seat, hopeful, filled with expectation, waiting for God to do His work? What are you leaning in on today? A vacation? A quick break to push some snow? For a bank account to grow? To see if your retirement plans don't go down the toilet? Like, where's your hope? Is it just some uncertain thing? Christian faith is not wishful thinking, like the economy. It's something much different. Let me close with 1 Peter. This is what he writes, and make a few comments. Blessed Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It is alive in you if you are in Christ. You have been born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled It is unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It's an expectation. It's not wishful thinking because the grave is empty. We have the proof. We know that it's true. Have you experienced that certain hope that is as certain as the grave is empty? Because that's, that's where it all rises and falls. That's where it stands or breaks, is on the tomb itself. If Jesus rose, then we can know for certain that we will rise too. If Jesus had breath restored to his lungs, then we can be certain through faith the same will happen to us if he was looking forward to a glory that far outweighed his sufferings and he knew it and he experienced it and he even came back to tell his disciples about it, then that same hope is also ours. If you have faith in Christ, then we shouldn't be hopeful people. We should be more than hopeful. We should be hope-filled. Hope-filled people. With Christ, you can say this morning, I want you to know before I let you go this morning, you can say through faith in Christ, yes, there is pain, but I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope-filled, and I know that God is with me. Yes, there is struggle, but I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope-filled, and I know that Jesus will see me through. Yes, I've got enemies around me. Yes, I feel overwhelmed. Yes, I don't know what I'm going to do sometimes. Yes, I don't know how I'm going to go through this. But I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope-filled because I know my Savior lives. See, I I know he's got me. I know he's with me. I know he's going to see me through. I know there is nothing. That's how this chapter ends. There is nothing in this world that can separate me from his love. Hope. Hope certain Hope. I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope filled. If you believe that with me this morning, then say it with me this morning. If you actually believe it in your gut, then say it out loud and cement it in your mind. This phrase, just say it with me I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope filled. I'm more than hopeful. Somebody say it with me. I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope filled. You can be louder. I'm more than hopeful. I'm hope filled. I am more than hopeful. I am hope filled. How about you? Are you filled with certain hope? It is not fleeting. It is not going away. It is as sure as Jesus is alive today. Hope. That's what this is. That's what our faith is. All this other stuff, it's going to come, it's going to go. Are you filled with Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the Savior who was promised from the Old Testament, and yet the Jewish people, Father, your people, it wasn't simply some kind of wishful thinking for them, it was an expectation. He would come, and He did. And Father, the fact that He came born into this broken place, struggling through life, suffering through life, all because he knew that faithfulness to you, faith in you, the hope of what was to come, far outweighed. It was not even comparable to what he went through here. And Father, quite frankly, in our honesty, it's hard for us to even imagine that. How could it be Not worth comparing to our sufferings when the suffering seems so intense. And yet, Father, that's what Jesus proved. That's how he lived. I pray that if there be any here today who do not have hope, a certain resolved expectation for their future, that they would, in these moments, receive Christ that they would pray in their heart, even now, Jesus, forgive me. I've hoped in myself, I've hoped in this world, I've hoped in everything else but you. So I give you my life. I submit it to you. Fill me with your security, with your grace, with your faith, with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to be more than hopeful people that occasionally get excited about something, but hope-filled people. People that are so full of hope that wherever we go, you cannot wipe this smile off our faces. We know the future. You can't change it. Nothing that we face will change it. It's ours, and we know it. You've given it to us. We give you all the praise, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna respond this morning. We're gonna respond in faith and sing out a song. You know it, Christ is our cornerstone through everything. He's the one that makes us know that we're secure. And when we're filled with this type of hope, we should leave this place different. It, It demands that of us. That we should leave knowing this is the greatest thrill of our lives. This is the greatest experience that we could go through, knowing what Christ has done. So I hope you'll stick around just for three minutes, not be in a hurry to get off to the next thing, and let's just worship Christ together. Sing this out.